0: Based on coverage selected. Subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary.
1: Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? Smile Actives is a safe and affordable alternative to expensive whitening procedures. You simply add Smile Actives gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, making it the easiest teeth whitening solution out there. In a clinical trial, Smile Actives users reported up to five shades whiter on average. All within seven days. No change to your routine, no extra time. Right now, they are running a buy one, get one offer. Hurry to smileactives.com slash iHeart today to receive this special offer with free shipping and handling. When you're an American Express Platinum card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? "I've, I've lost count.
2: Or, shoot that, shoot that!
3: Boxing with Chris Mannix is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There is no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. It's got great odds and markets for the NBA, NHL, college basketball, and so much more. It has got awesome new and existing user promotions. It is, unquestionably, America's number one sportsbook. It's easy to use. It's safe and secure. You get your winnings fast. Now winnings are delivered in as quick as two hours. Two hours. It's a fast turnaround. It's fun to combine multiple bets from the same game into a same game parlay. Discover the most popular SGPs each day right when you log in. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started right now. Sign up with promo code BOXING so they know that I sent you. Promo code BOXING so they know Chris Mannix sent you their way. In Los Angeles, uh, the site of the Blair Cobb's Alexis Rocha main event on the Zone. Joining me on the episode this week, you've read his stuff on Boxing Scene, and this week you can hear him make his debut on the Zone telecast, filling in for Todd Grisham. One. Cornelius Erdman. <laughs> I've got uh, big shoes and big biceps to fill this week. Uh, yeah, a few other things as well, but we'll, <laughs>
4: we'll save that for off the air in that conversation. <laughs> now, how are you
3: feeling about this?
4: Good. I mean, uh, it's kind of been uh, a long time coming, I guess, in the sense that I've kind of been in the, in the orbit, you yep. know, kind of working behind the scenes on DAZN and kind of calling fights for the competitors. Uh, so it's cool to actually, you know, get to do this. And should be a, a decent set of fights, a fun set of fights at least. It's a fun character yep. to dive into with Blair Cobbs, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. But um, yeah, I'm happy it's it's finally happened.
3: Yeah, no, it's it's um, you know it's disappointing that Virgil Ortiz had to uh, take off this card uh, with an illness. Uh, I don't know that that Ortiz-McKinson fight would have been super competitive, but you know Virgil Ortiz has become an attraction nowadays in boxing. 18 wins, 18 knockouts. Um, it, it's interesting, you know. Whenever Oscar De La Hoya talks, I take it with a lick of salt because somebody just says stuff, right? Like he's saying Ryan Garcia and Canelo should settle their beef with a fight at 165 in a few years. Okay, one's at 135 and one's going to fight with a light heavyweight title, but sure, why not? We'll let that one go. But, you know, I, I hear Oscar, you know, during the week before this illness was um, revealed, saying that, you know, Ortiz is ready to fight Terrence Crawford. Right now, uh, Crawford, of course, you know one of the top pound-for-pound fighters in the world, the WBO welterweight champion. I perk my ears up a little bit at that. I mean, Ortiz has kind of been trending towards that fight for a couple of years now. It's A couple of years ago, he beat Maurice Hooker, a stablemate of Terrence Crawford, with Terrence Crawford in the building. Just last year, he beat Agus Kavalaskis, a fighter that Crawford beat, but someone that gave him some problems uh, during that fight. So, uh, you know, I, I I pay attention when something like that comes up. I mean, what do you think? Do you think Ortiz? at 23, almost 24 years old, is ready for a Crawford fight.
4: So, yeah, to your point about Oscar, I think, you know, 40% of what he says kind of has validity sometimes. It's promoter speak, right? But this does seem in line with what Virgil also wants because he said the same things. He said the same thing about Errol Spence. You know, he's calling out those same names right now, and I can I can kind of understand why because fighters with the style that Virgil has... I'm not saying that Virgil doesn't have room for improvement. Certainly he does as a, as a 23, 24-year-old young fighter. But I also think that right now, why not take the shot when you have that kind of game-changing power? And also seemingly... Maybe 147 is a little bit of a struggle for him, and I don't want to relate that to what's happening right now with him getting rabdo and, and 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 being in the hospital. That could have happened whether he was struggling with the weight or not. But there were whispers about Virgil kind of struggling with 47 for a little while, so that and that's kind of been his attitude: is basically like, why not give it a shot? You know, he believes that he could take those fights. Why not? I mean, and and to your point as well, I think that he's kind of past the point where the boxing audience is cool with the Michael McKinson's of the world for Virgil Ortiz. And once you're past Virgil, you're talking about those names. So that's kind of where he is at.
3: Yeah. I I don't see any downside to doing it. I mean, I have this argument with Sergio Mora all the time and Sergio, thank God he's not a promoter because he would let everything marinate for years and years on. it. it's like, Oh, you know, Virgil, give him another couple more fights and he's ready for Crawford. Well, Crawford's in his mid thirties now. Like, what are we doing? We're going to wait till one fighter really ages out. or can we get two guys that, you know, would present a competitive fight. I think, or you know, or Ortiz would be competitive against Croft. I wouldn't make him the favorite by any stretch, but he does have game changing power. He has learned in his last two fights. He was hurt in that fight against Cavaloskis. So I, 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 think that he's as ready as he's going to be. And even if he loses like big deal, like Canelo Alvarez lost to Floyd Mayweather at the exact same age. He was 23 years old when Floyd took him to boxing school. Canelo learned from that. He got better from that. Even in the aftermath, Eddie Reynoso, Canelo, they have said, we were better off for losing that fight. It kind of humbled us a little bit and pushed us on the path that we're on right now. So I, I see no downside. I mean, I'm not so sure it's makeable because you know, Crawford made a lot of fight, a lot of money rather to fight on the top rank yeah. uh, side. He was making like $4 million to fight the Cavaloskis of the world. Um can Golden Boy come up with that? Can DZone come up with that? Can you do it off pay-per-view? Um, these are a lot of questions, but if it's doable, 100%. I wouldn't blink for one split second at putting Ortiz in with Crawford right now. No.
4: And and you look at to, to prove how little it matters. If you lose a fight of that magnitude, just look at the other side of the pond and all of those PBC welterweights that have all fought one another and they've lost. And then they come back out and they can still headline pay-per-views again. and, And the fans don't have a problem with it. And the marketplace doesn't have any problem with it. Like, Only one or two fighters per generation gets to swim completely unscathed and gets out while beating everyone along the way, and other people have to take those lessons that might come in the form of a loss and take the added publicity that comes in the form of a loss and facing those guys. And maybe that's the situation for Virgil Ortiz. Again, I'm not saying definitively he would lose to Terrence Crawford. I wouldn't make him the favorite either. I wouldn't necessarily pick him. But he's not out of his depth in that fight, I don't no, think.
1: Not at
3: all. Not at all. And if, if this would be his last fight at 147, he moved to 154, he tried new things there. I mean, there's only upside to fighting uh, a Terrence Crawford. All right. I want to talk about what Showtime revealed uh, this week. They announced their full schedule for the next few months. Uh, some good fights on there, some not-so-good fights on there. Uh, from Showtime slate, what they announced. Tell me what you like, tell me what you didn't like.
4: I like almost everything. There's two fights that I don't like for oh, entirely I can name different them. reasons.
3: I can I, probably, I'm probably name them. am sure you
4: can name them. Um, one is Charlo Sulecki. Oh, God. Uh, but I, I do want to say that I think it's a little unfair the heat that Charlo is getting for this matchup taking place. Number one, you know, we all understand the efforts that were made to make different fights for Charlo. But number two, in terms of who could fit that role, that being, you know, a top 10, top 15-y guy in the WBC rankings to make this a title fight, there aren't a lot of, like... No, he was the only
3: one. So, was, the, was the, Like, I, I called this six months ago. Yeah. Like, the, no, I didn't anticipate the Munguia negotiations falling apart. Right. And, and I want to get into that, too, because I agree with you. Jamal Charlo and his team made a good faith effort to make a fight with Jaime Munguia happen uh, on that date. I have no, I still don't know exactly how this all came apart, except that publicly, Oscar de la Hoya came out and said, We want to get D'Zone involved in this. That seems a little odd. It's not, I don't think that Charlo versus Munguia is a pay per view fight. It shouldn't be anyway. And if it's not a pay per view fight, there really isn't a need to get two broadcast outlets involved. I, I don't know if it's true, but Mike Coppinger reported that uh, if there was a, be a rematch between Charlo and Munguia, it would be on his zone. So, like, that seems like a fair solution to all this. Like, you know, Charlo's got the belt, he's got a little bit of leverage there. Uh, you do the fight on Showtime, and if there is a rematch, look, if Charlo loses, he should want a rematch. You shouldn't right, want to yeah, go out like that. You don't yeah, <laughs> yeah. want to go out like that. And look, rematches can oftentimes be better than the first. I mean, Fury Wilder, better than the first. Go back even further. Gotti Ward, like, I mean, maybe not Gotti Ward 2 wasn't better than the first, but the anticipation was better, was bigger after the first one happened. That's really, if you're a network, all you're really asking for. So I kind of thought it was a fair, you know, proposal by PBC there. So you're Munguia, and I don't know what is doing now. He's apparently backing out of the Adamas fight. Like, there's not a lot out there on the table. But look, uh, on the Charlo, I hate Charlo Stuletsky with a passion, but I understand why it became the fallback, like yeah. why it's there.
4: Yeah, and and, and that's the, that's the thing. Like if you look at what the other options were that would have been viable, like who are we talking about? Like Sam Eggington, like.
3: Jen well, Bec, the big like, one. You know, like, no, I don't you're know right. Who He's not. Well, he could have fought. Like I don't think I, nobody seems to want to fight Jenna Beck. I don't really exactly that- know why. I'm not quite sold as him as the. I think Sergio called him, like, a Golovkin type. Like, all right, let's just pump the brakes there until we...
4: Yeah, I stopped short of any, of, uh, you know, an elite fighter like Jamal Charlo being like, I am deathly afraid, afraid of afraid. Janabek. Like, like, I, I don't I, think did,
3: He beats two world champions that he beat. One was, like, I think one was the Dom, right? I think he beat Asana Dom, Janabek, and then somebody else. I forgot. Rob, it was it Rob Brent? I don't know. One of the... He had a couple yeah, of yeah, names yeah. on his resume. Well, The, the issue, I, again, I go back to the old chestnut of mine that I consistently take issue with, is that if Jamal Charlo wanted to fight Demetrius Andrade, he could fight Demetrius Andrade. It could happen tomorrow. Like, Eddie Hearn has boxed them in in ways that no promoter has boxed in another fighter ever before by literally saying, we will take every, exactly what you paid Sergei Derevinchenko back a year and a half ago. We'll take that exact dollar figure. If you're willing to take that, or even maybe less, to make that fight happen... You got no excuses. So while I don't think Charlo is ducking Genebek or anybody else, he has gone out of his way not to fight Demetrius Andrade for <laughs> several years now. Right. <laughs> so We have to agree on that one, right? Like he has gone out of his way not to do this.
4: Yeah, and and those reasons could be personal between the two promotional sides. No, side, it's you know, less, like, I, I don't no, know. No, because they'll like,
3: send him over. There. This is not one of those Munguia situations. They would send Andrade across the street. So what do you think
4: say. the reason is then?
3: Andrade's tough. It's, it's he's just a just southpaw. A... He's slippery. And I, I don't believe that... Charlo's team. I never say fighters don't believe because they always believe. Fighters are. Sure. Yeah. you, know, you of never. Course he does. Never criticize a fighter. They always believe it. I don't think Charles' team believes they could beat him. So they think he'd lose. He'd lose ugly and it would set him back. Or Although I, there's a possibility. I it. would disagree yeah. that it would set him back to like, is he gaining anything from Juan Montiel and Maciek Siletsky? Like the two of the last prime years of his career, he's blown on that. Like you don't gain anything from those two wins. In fact, you probably. Like the Montiel fight, just one fight, but he looked. A lesser version of himself in that fight, he couldn't get Montiel out. Of it. That's the same Montiel that Munguia pancaked in two rounds, two, a couple of years before that. So, I, un- unless you look
4: at it from a purely financial perspective, which you know isn't what fans want to hear, but it's probably true that whether he fights Andrade or whether he fights the Montiels and Zulechki's of the world, probably money. makes the same amount of money. And you if know, he keeps winning, you know, it's it's that then, then he ultimately stays in the running for this jackpot fight that he has in mind.
3: I always go back to something Angel Garcia told me years and years ago. He said. Why would we fight that guy? We're getting offered X money to fight the good guy, X money to fight I'm paraphrasing him here. Right. Bit, X money to fight the lesser guy. Like why wouldn't we take the, le- the same money to fight the lesser guy? Right. Like that, it, yeah. it's not incentive based, at exactly. least not over there.
4: And fans hate hearing that because the, you know we want we you know we're consumers of the sport, we're paying money to watch these things and so we hope for fighters to be as ambitious as possible, but uh, that's not always the case, right? I mean sometimes we, as, as when you when you're put in that scenario where it's an easier fight for the same amount of money and whatever your bigger goal is is still there. Either way, I, I completely understand why someone would take the lesser option.
3: All right, so you don't like – we're in agreement. Charlotte, Sieletsky, kind of dog shit. Uh, what, what do you like on the schedule? What
4: do I like on the well, – by the way, I also don't like uh, Gervonta and, and Rolly Romero for yeah. entirely see, separate issues. I, I,
3: see, I have – I've come a little bit around on that. I hated it when it was announced last year because everyone was available, right, mm-hmm. at that time. Like, Ryan Garcia, still available. Devin Haney, still available. Lomachenko, still available. Um, and he picked Raleigh Romero out of that group. That, that to right. me, was a fairly brazen example of Gervonta ducking top fighters. This time, I mean, I guess Haney technically is available, but he's still trying to get that Cambosis fight uh, happening. Ryan Garcia is taking his comeback fight in April. I hate it a little bit less because there aren't the options that were available in the fall. So Yeah,
4: great. my reasoning for liking it is, is obviously outside the ring Things That we yes. don't need to get into that I think optically and Showtime did, I think, the right thing and the thing that rarely happens just in sports in general, but especially in boxing, which is that it, it imposed consequences on a fighter for their actions outside of the ring. It almost never happens. But then kind of coming back around, and just letting it happen anyway. I know that there have been developments in the case, but still... You know, you can reward any other fighter out there in the world. And I know the best options aren't available out there, but to me, you could have picked someone other than Rolly Romero, and it would have t- t- I, yeah, tasted I, a little I, better. to and me. And like th-
3: they, their pass on it is that there were no charges filed sure. against Romero. We should be clear sure. though. like, the word like exonerate gets thrown around. I'm not sure. I'm not willing to go that far <laughs> right. on, on yeah. all that. I mean, charges weren't filed. That it's we're in a this is a this is the country we live in. This yep. is what should happen. You yep. should be punished um, forever for you know not. According to the justice, of not committing a crime, but I'm with you on on, on all that, especially when you throw Gervonta in some of the stuff we know he's been involved in over the uh, the years. That's not a not the best uh, of looks. All right, so I'm more okay with with Gervonta Romero. Uh, hate Suletsky Charlo. Give me the ones you like, cause I've, there's a lot there to like on that mm-hmm.
4: schedule. Uh In terms of pure unadulterated violence, David Benavidez, David Lemieux. The, I don't know why that's the one jumping out at me, but and I interesting. I, listen, I know. That
3: that's your Canadian breath uh, up yes, there, of right? Course. Uh, I feel
4: a uh, sense of Canadian pride. But still, I still think that even in the autumn of his
3: career... that's He's that he's deep in the autumn for, of his career. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a cold autumn. Uh, I yeah. don't disagree with you, by the way, you know? that somebody... So, like, it, I feel the same way about David Lemieux that I do Sergey Kovalev. Like, somebody's got to take that proverbial scalp. Like, David Lemieux still has a name. Uh, he's won, what, three or four fights in a row mm-hmm. at this point. Not doesn't look brilliant in any of them, but um, some someone should be the last to take his name, and Benavidez is, is probably. And gonna he's going to be
4: dangerous till the final he punch. Can still crack, yeah. really, really dangerous. You
3: know, so for th-
4: for as long as that one goes, you know that both fighters in that fight have the exact same intention and basically the exact same game plan, and imp- implemented in slightly different ways. Yeah. So that that certainly jumps out at me. What what, what do you
3: like? Uh, I mean the obvious one to me is the rematch between Castano and Jamal Charlo. Um, And and kudos to Showtime for once again, keeping that on premium TV and not putting it on a pay-per-view for $75. I mean, that would have been based on the competitiveness on the first fight. They probably could have justified putting it on pay-per-view in the rematch. Things like that have been done uh, before, but they kept it on the main network. And I think it's a great fight. Like, you know, I have, I have many questions about it. Like, did Castaño leave it all in the ring in that first fight? Like, did we see the very best of him? And this time around, he's going to get clipped by something big uh, by Jermel Charlo. At the same time, like, Jermel Charlo did not look like he knew how to fight a guy up close. Like, Castaño took the fight to his body, and Charlo's inability to, to create space caused him to get clipped, to get banged up, to force a, fair, a pretty fair... He might have lost, but, I mean, a draw was was okay, in my opinion. That, to me, is is probably the best fight on the slate going into the summer.
4: The first one was an awesome fight with one particularly terrible judge, and I think that's the the right assessment is that I, I think...
3: It should be like the the bumper sticker of boxing. Awesome fight <laughs> with one At bad At least judge. one terrible judge. Yes. Uh,
4: yeah, I think that it, it's, it's probably fair to think that Charlo has more ways to adapt and do something different in that second fight than Castano does. So, like he just he has more tools in the toolbox. Does, yes. That doesn't always mean that one fighter is better or one fighter can beat another fighter. But I think there's more room for improvement for Charlo. And uh, in a, in a broader sense, one thing I like, and I, I was talking about this on, on another podcast as well, um, the the Showtime schedule. And you know, I'm saying this knowing that I'm working for a, another network <laughs> in, in a couple of days. It, I there's the feeling that it is just a little bit more curated than other networks. You know what I mean? Like these, there are more hand-selected fights. There's sometimes more, and we know why that is. They're less beholden to, to promoters and whatnot. But there is, when they do that schedule rollout every once in a while, those matchups feel a little bit different. There seems to be a little bit more thought put into what's going on in the air there. And and I appreciate that as as a fan outside of my, uh, you know, outside of my work within the sport.
3: Yeah, no, I agree. Um you know, their problem is always that they're at the. They're beholden to what PPC is going to give them, and they have to compete with another network for that. So, you know, some years they get the good stuff, other years they get the crap. And it's gone back and forth, quite right. frankly. And there's lots of reasons for that, but uh, that would take a whole another podcast to do. I also like the, uh, the bantam weight fight Stephen Fulton versus Danny Ramon. Oh, man. Yeah. Danny Ramon, yeah. like, I was disappointed in MJ Acmedalia for not giving him a rematch. Like, Danny Rahman didn't have to fight MJ Acmedalia a few years ago. He could have vacated the WBA version of that title, kept, what was it, the WBC, I think it was at that time. I think so, uh, yeah. And kept it, and then not have the tough fight against the fucking 6-0, you know, Uzbekistani c- killer yeah, out Marvel. there. Yeah, like, right. I mean, like, he didn't... Yeah. How many fighters do you know would have done that? Like, very few. Like, mm-hmm. Danny Roman could have gone, fought, like, a more marketable an easier U.S. fight. He didn't. He fought Akhmedaliev. It was an excellent fight. And Akhmedaliev didn't give him a rematch. And I always was... I always kind of held that against Akhmedaliev a little bit. Nice guy, Akhmedaliev, and very talented fighter. But I felt he, thought he owed Danny Romano a rematch. I'm thrilled for him. He's a nice guy and a good fighter that he's getting a chance against Stephen Fulton. And that's a good style matchup too. Fulton... Feels more like counterpuncher in that matchup, and Roman just comes forward all the time. Yeah,
4: he's the counterpuncher who throws twelve hundred punches in a fight. Right, yeah, like yeah. he's punching second, but he's punching more often. Yes, yes. Uh, which is really neat. There's just one of the many reasons why Fulton is one of my favorite fighters to watch. Yeah, and that goes back to your other point about you know Roman loses that fight. He takes a, an incredibly dangerous fight with. Uh, a low upside, but performs well, has an entertaining style, and we don't even really think about that when it was announced. We're not like, oh, you know, this is the guy that lost to MJ, huh? Fans don't care about that uh, as long as you perform well and as long as you have an entertaining style.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's all that matters. So good to see him back in a matchup like that. Winnerby do another big payday, whether it's against Brandon Figueroa in a rematch with Fulton or a showdown with Roman. A lot of good things happening uh, in that weight class. All right, this weekend... We have got two cards going on. I'll get to ours in a few minutes. But Edgar Berlanga is back at Madison Square Garden. Berlanga last seen uh, winning a, it's called, uninspired decision against Cossaris, uh three or four months ago. Uh, he suffered a torn bicep in that fight. He was knocked down for the first time in his career in that fight. And that fight, Corey, marked the second consecutive fight that Berlanga Went the distance. He had the run of 16 consecutive first-round knockouts. It was a big story for a long time, justifiably. And then Desmond Nicholson, a journeyman type, takes him the distance. And then Cossaris, who, yes, I know, he looked fine against Billy Joe Saunders. I, I'm, I'm so tired of hearing about Cossaris against, like, Billy Joe Saunders with a, a fever of 112 going in there and looking good against <laughs> I'm just not, I'm not here for that, that uh, part of the arcade. But I guess my question to you is, like, after last year... Does Berlang have something to prove to you in this upcoming fight against Steve Rolls? Has the shine come off him? He's still undefeated, but has the shine come off him based on the last two performances?
4: I think that reality has just kind of set in. I mean, I think you would have been unreasonable to think that this was a guy who was going to keep knocking guys out in in the first round. Like, you know, the question is whether that was just a really nice first chapter to his career, or is he Tyrone Brunson? Right, like it's good comparison. Th- that's yeah. that's kind of what we're looking to find out. Think um, like of Jeff know, Lacey almost, or, like, or you know. Jeff Lacy, yeah. right? Uh, which you know had had a pretty good peak as well. Yeah. I mean, there's like, if you become Jeff Lacey, that's still a pretty good career. Yeah, uh, if that's what Edgar Belanga turns into, uh, I think he learned and we learned that he can be a little bit susceptible. But the other thing we learned is something that we uh, are just kind of revisiting with him, which is that he has a long history of arm issues, shoulder issues. Dating back to his amateur career, um, you know, I know some people that have worked from him since his childhood, uh, and he had like big time shoulder and arm trouble during his amateur career for a long time, like during going back to not his childhood, but like his teenage years, basically. And those may be things that will continue to arise, and those may be things that hamper him down the road, maybe keeping him out of fights, might end up changing his style. I I don't know. Maybe some of that power gets thwarted, depending on how serious this gets. But um, I think this is a a decent test for him with, uh, with Steve Rolls, who... Um, will be able to force him to work on the inside a little bit. Is very technically sound. He's not sloppy in, in there. He's not going to create obvious openings where uh, Berlanga can just kind of overwhelm people athletically like he was in those first, whatever, 15, 16 fights. So this is a good test for him. This won't provide all the answers about him, but uh, I think, yeah, I think we're just entering the reality phase for Berlanga, and the, that fairy tale is over.
3: It's a good point about the history of injuries because that could mean he could have more of them going forward. And... Like I'm curious to see what Andre Rogier, his team over there, what they do as far as him coming in with his chin up, because that's what he does. Like I've watched that knockdown dozens of times, and you know, that wasn't arm related. That was chin up and he got clipped and he was hurt. Like people focus on him going him, banging his gloves together and feeling frustrated. If that round goes 30 more seconds, he might have gotten knocked out. Yeah. Like he oh, was yeah. hurt towards the end of it. And he kind of stumbled back into the corner, smile on his face, but he was banged up. So he got fortunate in that sense. Good test with Rolls, though. Um, they are planning a June fight for him. Maybe wait to see what happens with the Rolls fight. Yeah, like, a little premature. A that's little not, bit. They're a little, little in, disrespectful like, to my man, yeah. uh, Mr. Rolls. they penciling in June 11th. Another Canadian. <laughs> there, there we go. Just, we got, I got to give, like, uh, disclaimers Disclaimer, here. Yeah. We're like, you're, heavy you're, bias. Heavy bias on Canadians. But it's an interesting fight, especially if Berlang comes out, stops Rolls, middle of the fight, fifth or sixth round, we can get back on the Berlanga train. If he struggles once again, you know, you'll start to wonder, you know, was he more hype than um, actual substance? Yeah, I I was going to say Uh, one
4: more thing. I mean, I I think that's – putting that in perspective, like those guys that he fought in the first 15, 16 fights, you're kind of – like great fighters will stop those guys. Maybe not in the first round, right? But you will stop those guys. Not everyone is going to stop Steve Rolls. It takes a pretty good fight, like top 20, top 15 fighter to stop a Steve Rolls. And, and certainly impressively. So if you do that, I think that does say something, right? Yep. Like, of some some conclusions in boxing are kind of foregone conclusions in a sense, but it, it 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 says something about how good you are and where you rank, where you are, if you could stop this caliber of guy. So I think it'll mean something if he can get rolls out yeah, of
3: there. Only been stopped by Golovkin, so yeah, that's um, that would be a feather in the cap for Lange if he can do it. Um, all right, let's talk about the main event this weekend. Um, before we were recording this. As we sit here in the lobby of the LA Hotel, I was regaled by Blair Cobbs, who was, I I want to say, dressed like a male dominatrix. Is that, uh, is that a thing? Oh, no, yeah. Absolutely, <laughs> it was, yeah. his black leather. He looked like Shawn Michaels, but in a different ensemble. It was just a very <laughs> very interesting... I mean, it's one of his inspirations. It's Well, it, it, it would make sense. Yeah, he's got him. So, yeah. Blair... Uh, the the loss of Virgil Ortiz is the gain of Blair Cobbs and Alexis Rocha, because they are now main event fighters and for the casual fan you know this is kind of a all right well, whatever who's blair Cobbs? who's alexis rocha but i think the hardcore boxing fan knows exactly who these guys are like blair has made a name for himself over the last couple of years with his um compelling style in the ring and his obviously engaging personality he's channeling rick flair every time he's he's out there and alexis rocha you know since that loss in 2020 to Rashidi Ellis. He's rebounded brilliantly. He's won three fights in a row since then and reestablished himself as one of the top prospects at 147 pounds. I really like this fight. I think this is one of those fights where, you know, I don't know where both guys rank among sanctioning bodies, but the winner of this fight will put himself in a position to be considered for, at the very least, a Virgil Ortiz and maybe somebody even bigger. Maybe if those belts fragment in the next six to eight months if you know depending what happens with Errol Spence maybe they get a title shot down the line so I think it's a it's a good fight in terms of uh, stylistically and a meaningful one as well which if you check those two boxes for me I'm good I'm good with what that fight's gonna be
4: yeah because because these guys are kind of they're stuck in that moat between being a prospect and being a contender but whoever wins this for me is is a contender, you know, maybe not a top contender, but yeah, you start talking about them maybe facing a, a Virgil Ortiz or, or someone else that becomes a, that's that's on the plate. I think this is a, a, a fun fight storyline-wise because these guys have kind of come up parallel to one another. They've often been on the same card. I think like Blair last was,
3: card they were, you know, Blair fought uh, Brad Solomon. Yeah, uh, I forgot who wrote. You. I'm blanking now. Who wrote? You. Same card that he fought.
4: Uh, and, and and when when they were coming up. They were kind of thought about differently. like Rocha was the blue chip prospect yeah. who was you know a junior Olympian, uh, heavily touted coming out of the amateurs. Uh, at one point, he was kind of universally called uh, one of the top welterweight prospects on, on the planet. Hmm. Blair Cobbs, there was a point when, you know he was facing VL Lobos and people thought he was going to lose. Yeah. He had to win in order to get on that A side track, and then they became kind of parallel figures, and then Rocha loses. But Blair keeps winning, and now they have to face one another. Like, in an, uh, Throw in
3: the story of Blair Cobb basically being a fugitive for the first half of his life with well, his father. Yes, uh, his father being a fugitive. Well, Blair just, on you know, the run kind of with him at not some Not really way. an accomplice because no, he's a No, no, no. You know, no being not, not being yeah, sort of right. a fugitive by association <laughs> right. in a weird way. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there aren't
4: too many tremendous you know, wilder tremendous. backstories. In Blair's back—it's
3: yeah. among Anywhere. the wildest. That's ah, in yeah. a sport where there are so many. That's among the wildest. Yeah, and
4: he's among the wildest characters in boxing too. Like he really. Um you know, I'm probably going to use up some of my commentary material here, but just in the past four weeks, he's called out Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence, Canelo Alvarez, and Virgil Ortiz. And he's, you Boots know, Ennis
3: after Boots Boots his fight. He's stood there. Like, he got more vis- visibility off that than oh. anything else.
4: Yeah, he is doing anything he can to get visibility and to get in the public eye. He got Spence to tweet back
3: at him. Like, you know, Spence is like, who's this 30 year old prospect? Yada, yada, yada. Right.
4: But, but, you know, in a, you know, all publicity is good publicity kind of sense. Boxers struggle for name recognition, right? They're, we're, we're not like a super hyper mainstream sport anymore. No. So anything you can do, which is what he does, is anything, whether mm-hmm. it's the costumes, the wrestling theme songs, calling out any fighter under the sun, it works for him, mm-hmm. you know? And the, the, the Alexis Rocha method depends upon continuing to win and win and win and win, and he doesn't get any shortcuts because he doesn't talk the way that Blair does outside of the ring. So they're two very different personalities, but inside the ring, I think this could be a really explosive fight because both of these guys, when they do get to the inside, really like to go for it. I know that people think of Blair as kind of a a pure boxer. He's kind of more of an ambush fighter. Like He he has good mobility, but when Blair wants to go in and bang, you can see his facial expressions change. Yep. And he goes for it. And Rocha, I think, composes himself a little bit better on the inside than Blair does, but Blair's a little bit more athletic. You know, he's a little bit more explosive, a little bit more unpredictable. Um. Yeah, I, I could see, like, these are the types of guys that could trade knockdowns and, and give us, you know, one hell of a main event. I, I'm really excited for this one.
3: Yeah, I, I think my, my early read on this, my biggest question is, what does Blair Cobb's chin look like? Mm-hmm. Because... He's been hurt. He's been down. He comes in high with that chin a lot, like really high. Um, And he's working with Freddie Roach, and I'm sure Freddie is well aware of that uh, and is doing everything he can to adjust that. But that's his biggest liability. I think he does have a big athletic advantage over Rocha. His speed, I think, is going to be equal to or better than Rocha. But Rocha... To your point with his his backstory and kind of how, you know coming up the amateur ranks, he's a disciplined guy. And if he sees an opening with a guy coming in chin high, he's going to wait for it and he's going to clip him. Like, that's the thing to me, like the biggest question. Like, can Blair keep his chin down enough to build a lead on the scorecards and land what he wants to land? Because, I mean, I've just seen too many times him coming in wide open for some of these yeah, shots. Yeah, and
4: I think that, that that defensive tick is kind of tied to him getting really emotional in the ring. And I, I don't necessarily mean that in a bad thing, but... You can sense when Blair Cobbs gets excited during a fight and he starts going a little bit wild and he starts wooing at his opponent and he starts throwing that sweeping left hand. That's when the chin comes up. You mm-hmm. know? And, and a lot of people who, a lot of fighters who really fancy themselves as punchers, kind of have that habit because they like to stand up tall and get as much leverage as they want and the chin comes up as well. So when you combine that with a guy that can get a little bit fired up in the ring, yeah, like, Cobbs can leave himself exposed, and a guy who's really disciplined and tight on the inside like Rocha is, it could be his kryptonite. But at the same time, he, he has that game-changing power and athleticism, and, and we've seen him come back from really scary hours before in the ring.
3: I just don't think we've seen him come back against a fighter the level of Rocha. Like, no, if he gets, God, no. If no, he no. gets in trouble, it's different than a Villa Lobos. It's yeah, different than any of the guys he's fought beforehand it's it's gonna be because Rocha will finish him if he gets him hurt like he's he's good enough to do good for, I mean again good for Rocha for just getting back in the ring after the Ellis Ellis hasn't fought since then I know he out I of know. the ring since 2020 that's wild now Rocha has reestablished himself as a player at 147 Ellis and, is and
4: with a win could could jump um, over Ellis in terms of you know kind already, of pu- yeah. public standing and, and oh, I think I mean,
3: he's over in public standing right yeah. I mean when you fight three times since then yeah you know you're you're past him and Rashidi's Good Boston guy, you know. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I support Another all, disclaimer. I support right. all Boston guys, yeah. but, man, he's got to get back in the ring. He really <laughs> has to get back in the ring. Anyway, uh, I want to finish with something that's been on my mind for the last, you know, few weeks or so. And it's topical now because it was a couple weeks ago at Tijuana where we saw Jaime Munguia all but pass out after the weigh-in um, uh, for his last fight against Demetrius Ballard uh this week you know we don't know exactly what's going on with Virgil Ortiz but you know you alluded to some weight issues I'd heard the same thing about Ortiz um I was having this conversation with Joe Goosen recently and Joe is a big advocate for same-day weigh-ins like we haven't done same-day weigh-ins really since the mid to early 1980s like they have been done away with and you know it's it's it was done away with officially because like Promoters and networks said, oh, I got to be help. The safety of the fighters is paramount and stuff like this. But unofficially, it's because like, you know, if a guy goes down on Friday, you can find a replacement on Saturday. If The yes. guy goes down on Saturday, you ain't find a replacement on Saturday. That's why we've done away with that. I had this fight with Sergio on DAZN Zone. this week and Sergio's adamantly against same day weigh-ins. He thinks it's unhealthy for fighters to have to do it. I would agree with him if we thought that fighters would treat a same day weigh-in the way they treat a Friday weigh-in. But that's not true. Like, a fighter goes to a Friday weigh in as depleted as they possibly can be. They are just eating air pills like in the days before. (laughs) Sometimes ice chips. Sometimes ice chips to get down because they believe that with a good night's sleep and a big steak in their belly, they'll be fully healthy, you know, 36 hours, whatever it is, 36 hours later, and they will have blown up two weight classes above to where they are. If it's a same day weigh in, they wouldn't do that. <laughs> they wouldn't They would know if you have to fight in six hours, you better make weight in healthy way. And I'm thinking to myself, like, that's the best way to do it. Like, that way, when you have a welterweight title fight, you actually have welterweights in the ring. Not, you know, super middleweight versus junior middleweight in there. <laughs> right. Like, it's just... When you really think about it, it's kind of fucking insane. Like, it's just... Like, you have these guys, like... You sit up there, and you'll do it, you know, tomorrow, on Saturday night, rather. You'll do it, and you'll say, like, you're here for the welterweight fight between blah, blah, blah. Who knows what Blair Cobb's going to weigh on the day of the weigh-in, or the day of the fight? Who knows what Alexis Roach is going to weigh? I mean, Bechtomir Melikuzyev, he's fighting. Uh, what's he going to weigh on that? Like, these, these guys just gain so much weight that they become different fighters altogether. So, I would like to see the powers that be explore going back to same-day weights. I don't know if it's a sanctioning body. If it's a network, if it's a promoter, but go back to same-day weigh-ins, um, and I think you'll have much healthier fighters. Okay, so I, I'm i unequivocally against same-day
4: weigh-ins. Okay, well, but, but I agree with many of the things you're saying. I just think that they shouldn't be implemented... With the same day weigh-in,
3: so okay, but they were done before the like before eighty-five, I think yeah. it was. They were always that was what it was. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah.
4: So eighty-three was kind of unofficially when it ended. And yeah. uh, to your point is because uh, Eddie Mustafa Muhammad, the day of, that's right, four hours before uh, a rematch or scheduled rematch with Michael Spinks, just said, "I'm out of here." I'm sure and the promoters HBO and networks was... were
3: very, very concerned with the health and safety right. of him. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yes, sure they were... yeah, they're known. I'm sure, they're, that was known that was big, that. or that they didn't have a major pay-per-view <laughs> that they could put on <laughs> the air and make money. I wonder which one carries more weight with promoters so your uh, you know your
4: proposal it it hinges on fighters not treating the weigh-in as they do right now it, with, with the same day weigh-in right that they would come in just as their normal kind of walk around weight and, and they wouldn't have to cut anything to, to get down to that particular weight i think that's asking a lot and i think unfortunately any amount of dehydration that can't be fully erased and and, and when fighters can't rehydrate Makes it really dangerous. So last year there was a study done by the Cleveland Clinic that looked at um, the deterioration of the brains of fighters by weight class. And they found that the smaller the weight class, or in smaller weight classes, it happened fight by fight drastically more so than with heavyweights. And so the connection they made was obviously that dehydration has a lot to do, uh, or makes it significantly more dangerous for fighters when they go in and then take head trauma while being depleted. And unfortunately, even if fighters on the same day came in less depleted, they don't then have that time to rehydrate. Like, unfortunately, I actually think that the way that it is is still safer even if guys are, you know, drastically rehydrating than it would be even if a guy came in and just had to cut two pounds the day of and then didn't have ample time to rehydrate overnight. What I do think there should be, though, is I think that there should be more control over how much can be cut which is to say that I think that there should be check-ins more regularly like the IBF does like the IBF right. does to make sure because you know I've been with a fighter who's cut 17 pounds overnight and they were just sitting in the car, chewing gum, spitting on the way to the weigh-in, seventeen pounds overnight. And there are more drastic ones.
3: When, when you Sergio look at like Sergio's you know? talked about his Vernon Forrest rematch, like yeah. like eight pounds in a week or something yeah. like that, like just some absurd, right. absurd number.
4: Yeah, and that's not even the most drastic that, that we'll see in boxing, right? So, I think that there have to be or there should be measures to say, okay, you can only be X amount over, you know, a week out, a month out. Like there should just be more check-ins, like. At this point, we just hope that fighters are safe when they get in the ring. But sanctioning bodies, promoters, everyone involved that is in charge of these fighters' lives should act like it, <laughs> a lot more so than they do right now.
3: So I get what you're saying. But my kind of counterpoint to that is, like, wouldn't fighters at some point decide to fight in weight classes they're already... Like, the only reason you're dehydrated is because you're trying to make a weight you probably shouldn't. Like, you're, you're cutting down, you're draining... like. You should be hydrated when you're making a certain <laughs> weight, like going up to. Like weight, yeah. when I do a juice cleanse, I don't think my actual weight is what it was at the end of the juice <laughs> right, cleanse. Right, right. Like yeah. that's not really what it is. So, like it would probably decimate the lower weight classes, but I, I think that eventually, you know, fighters would adjust and like they'd be in natural weight class, and more than anything, they'd be healthier. Like they, I, I completely agree with your point that like if you're even remotely dehydrated, six hours is not enough time to. Get back to where you need to be, but I think eventually fighters be like, you know what, I'm not a junior middleweight. I'm going to super middleweight, and I'm going to make weight in a natural way. They would do this. I mean, they they just think they're gonna be more powerful. They're gonna be the bigger and stronger. Use their physicality. It's a tactic, in all this. I think over like the course of time fighters would eventually not be dehydrated at all going to this stuff. Yeah. Well, what it would
4: create is basically a big bang for boxing where, like, whatever the rankings are right now, like, all those welterweights, they're Mm -hmm. not welterweights. You know, they would be fighting most of them at a complete... Basically, anywhere from, like, 115 to cruiserweight. Very few of those guys, I think, would comfortably fight at a same-day weigh-in. There, Like, I come from back to Canada. In Ontario, we still have same-day weigh-ins. And so, for example... uh, Sammy, all hail Ontario. Sammy Vargas, who we've seen many times, we've seen a couple times on DAZN, right? He's a welterweight. In Ontario, he basically fights at 155 because he has to weigh in on the same day. So these weight classes would get really moved around, and we'd basically be shuffling the deck uh, of the fighters we have right now. So The, other, the flip you know? side of
3: it is, like, you know, while I love, like, the flyweights and super flyweights and all that it's great action, heavier weights often draw better. Mm-hmm. Like, the bigger you are, the more attention you usually get. The more bigger fighters Nowadays, where you'd like take Errol Spence for example, like Errol Spence would probably be a middleweight if he had to do a same day weigh in. Oh yeah, like, like he's a five <laughs> yeah. eleven muscular guy. Yeah, like, he'd be a middleweight at that point. So maybe that'd be, I don't know. I don't know. It's not going to happen. But I remember Joe Joe Goosen is a passionate supporter of it, and he was he sold me pretty good on the uh, idea of it. He's Joe. a
4: passionate supporter of Canadian fashion too. He, so he is. the uh, denim. I, I like. Him, uh, yeah. I, I walked
3: into Ryan Garcia's gym a couple of weeks ago. I half expect to see Ryan in denim. I I didn't see it, so he hasn't adopted that yet. But. Uh,
4: I feel like Ryan could pull it off a little bit better than Joe.
3: Probably. Joe was in full denim <laughs> when I saw him. Like, pretty much what you would expect Joe Goose to be wearing. He was uh, actually wearing. All right. Corey Erdman will be on the call on Saturday on DAZN alongside myself, Sergio Morris, Anissa Estrada, the 105-pound women's champion. Uh, she will be on the call as well. Corey, good luck, man. Good to have you uh, as part of the team, and uh, thanks for joining the show. Thanks, as always. When we come back, my conversation with Ryan Garcia. From FanDuel Sportsbook. It doesn't matter if your fighter gets knocked out or tapped out. New customers get an instant $150 bonus in site credit on your first bet of $5 or more from March 13th to April 4th. Just sign up with promo code BOXING to bet on all the biggest boxing matches and UFC fights. You guys know every weekend I give you my picks. This is a great time Try to take advantage of them and sign up over at FanDuel Sportsbook. Choose from the money line to the method of victory and so much more. And with cash out, the ball's in your court. So you can close out your bet whenever you want before the fight is over. To get your $150 bonus and site credit guaranteed, just sign up with the promo code BOXING on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. So Ryan, we were just talking about the magazine story from two years ago. It doesn't feel. It feels like a longer time. Everything's gone on with you in the last couple of years. You're almost a different person
5: than the guy I wrote about a couple of years ago. Do you feel like a different person? Uh, I feel like a different person. I feel uh, I've learned a lot from my experience. Uh, I've had to deal with a lot of drama in my career. Short career <laughs> so far, but like I think everything works out for uh, the better, and it's made me a stronger person, better leader and i am able to see things clearer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it helped me stop like a train wreck before it happened. Mm-hmm. So I'm good and I'm happy that I made the decision to take a break. Mm-hmm. And now I feel way better and I'm ready to leave where I left off at. Mm-hmm. So you beat Luke Campbell in January of 2021. Yeah. And, you know, on the surface, it
3: feels like that should be the top of the world for you at that moment. That should be, you know, you were on your way to greatness after that win. Did you feel... Like that after that win, and when did things kind of start to kind of cascade for you?
5: Yeah, I felt like on top of the world, you know, knocked Luke Campbell out, was ready to, you know, just go on a dominating year. Uh, and uh, things changed, and I started feeling uh, far started feeling like I was spiraling down, but it was never about boxing, it was just about things outside the ring that were affecting me and been affecting me, and it finally caught up to me and just came crashing down at one point. And, you know, I've dealt with anxiety problems in the past, so uh, it was just everything was adding up and came to a, a halt, and I decided to take a break.
3: When you say it came crashing down on you, what do you yeah. mean by that?
5: Well, anybody who knows about anxiety and depression can know that, you know, there's signs there, but you don't really pay any attention to them. So uh, it kind of felt like one big explosion, mm-hmm. um, and I can't really you know explain it fully detailed but just know it was very hard and I was tormented in my own mind for for a while and I couldn't get out of it myself so I asked for help. What
3: was the key for you getting past it you know getting to where you are now? Uh,
5: I think it was just uh, you know speaking up asking for help getting real professional help started there Um, and then you know just enduring persevering Mm -hmm. and trying to get better you know i was <laughs> like there's no really other way around it you know i had to choose to just push myself get myself back up because uh you know i was in a dark place but mm. you know, everything kind of helped me mm. it was a big big help from my family and friends and you know just everything around me everybody mm contributed to getting me back on track. When did when you say get back on track? Like when
3: did getting back into boxing? I mean you were tweeting about boxing, you were on yeah, screen well, about I'm boxing. Like, you were never really out of the boxing mix per se. Yeah. But when when did getting back in the ring start to get into your mind?
5: Once I started feeling good enough to go outside, <laughs> you know, <laughs> probably uh and I kind of found uh just you know a clear mind and I think that's when I kind of was able to just do regular things and not feel panicky, and uh, the panic attacks stop. It kind of just stopped out of nowhere. I don't know. I can't explain it. Like everything just started working out, and I just accepted the lesson that life was teaching me at that moment, and then I moved forward. You know, and everybody, you know, kind of has questions on why I was tweeting and why not because you know I'm competitive mm-hmm. and. My fire is always there, so you're never gonna. That's you were still
3: la- watching fights, and you were still. That's the <laughs> last. around your weight class, you were tweeting or. or that's or the or last thing about. to die out of me. You're gonna have to beat the <laughs> shit out of me. You know,
5: I'm competitive from you're my soul in. You know, you know my soul was in it for sure, but mm-hmm. uh, I just couldn't get myself to go. But, um, but yeah, that's the past. I'm ready mm-hmm. now.
3: So we're here in your gym in San Diego. Uh, Joe Goosen, your new trainer, nearby. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about this, about kind
5: of your trainer change. When did it kind of crystallize to you that you needed to make a change? Uh, There was discussions before uh, before uh Luke Campbell when I was fighting Fonseca. I went to uh Lupe and said, uh, why isn't Eddie uh, around? And I'm only like two weeks from the fight or whatnot, uh, whatever it was. And he was like, you know what, just don't worry about it. Just do your job. And I was like, all right, did my job, got it done. And, you know, Eddie i always going to have love for him. He's a great trainer, and I have nothing but respect for him. But, um, you know, he – I mean, it's just facts. He just doesn't really show up. You know, he doesn't give 100% to me. He didn't. Mm-hmm. And he didn't really give 100% to a lot of people. And it's not like I'm talking shit. It's just mm-hmm. the truth. And uh, I'm in a very, very uh, important fight of my life. I think every fight's important for me, but especially coming back – you know, everybody's gonna be looking to judge me, and they do that every fight. But f- specifically this fight, and he didn't show up the first two weeks, so I was very mad. And mm-hmm. uh, and then there was a situation about, you know, I don't know, somebody said that Canal didn't want to let me into the gym or whatnot. Like it was just a lot of. I didn't want to hear it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't. I didn't have time for that. Like I'm trying to work. I'm like I'm here. This is like my life. Like mm-hmm. I'm not playing around here. You know. And I just said I'm switching. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like I'm done. I'm gonna just go. Mm-hmm. sit.
3: When when Canelo said what he said about you, about you not being as committed as yeah. you needed to be or something like that, I mean, how did that hit you?
5: I mean, did it get me a little – I was like shocked? Yes. Like, I was kind of confused on it. Uh, I didn't quite understand why he would say something like that, especially to the media because mm-hmm. he could have definitely taken me, you know, somewhere else and told me personally. So I was kind of confused on that and uh, I kind of took it as – disloyal because I would never do that to him. Mm-hmm. I would never speak on him in the gym on what I think he should be doing or what not. Being we're a team. We, should, we shouldn't we should even speak any ill towards each other. Mm-hmm. And I know I've never done that, and I never will. He's a great fighter, a great human being, and I hope the best for him. But when he said that, uh, I felt betrayed. Like, really? Like, okay. And, and you know, to be honest, he I don't think he really, like, he didn't really wanna show me the love I did. I don't think so. Mm. It's just based on other things, but mm. you know, it's all good, man. I, I have a good heart, good intentions, and I never I never wish bad on anybody. So I think I'm in a good place, I'm happy. Mm. Uh that ain't gonna change how mm. I throw my punches, so <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> but you didn't see that coming, that that when you said that. No, about, like it, not at all. It felt like out of left field to you? Yeah. Because uh they know what I was going through. Mm. So I I the, I think the instance that he said that I came to the gym for twenty minutes or whatnot, whatever he said in the interview, it was a moment where I was trying to work out, right? I was, mm. I think it was even before Fortuna, before I canceled Fortuna. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. No, no, it was like Fortuna. No, it was summer, it was, summertime. Yeah, it was May, summertime, around May, that time. Yeah. And I went to the gym and I was trying to do the workouts and I just broke down. I I left the gym and I went. I just couldn't, I couldn't stop crying. He mm. was there, and mm. we went on like a like 40 50 minute I was like, I don't know what's wrong with me like, yeah. I can't I can't move I, I can't do anything I don't I, don't, I can't I, I was just out of my mind mm. and I was like I was just crying nonstop and I was like I don't know I, I don't know if I could do this and that's what kind of was like yeah you've seen it yeah that mm. was true I did leave 20 minutes in but I would never do that if I was focused and in a and like getting ready for a fight mm. uh it was just a moment where I was I was broken down like mentally and so that's why I was kind of like Wow, you really gonna do that? Like, you know me. You know, I'm like that. Like, I I don't, I don't mess around. Like, he thinks, he knows that I never gave him any edge. I never, I was like, all right, like I was competitive no matter what. Mm -hmm. Like, if they pushed, I pushed, and you were not beating me. No matter who it is in the gym, I'm gonna push harder than you. They know that about me, and that's why Eddie knew I was gonna be great, and he told Mm -hmm. everybody. Mm -hmm. So, that's why I was kind of wow, I was kind of confused on what he said. But, you know, people. I don't know what the I don't know what his motive was on that. Like, what was the point was he trying to get across? Like, I mean, he would probably say you're was just shitting motivate, on me. How's how that motivating? That. I don't know, but like that, I I'd don't say, need motivation. Yeah. I am mm-hmm. my own motivator. Mm-hmm. I got a lot riding on me. I don't need motivation. Mm-hmm. I'm a strong maniac training machine that I'll figure out a way to get this shit done. Mm-hmm. So. No, it's, uh, like, Michael Jordan, like, all that, that's me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Canelo Alvarez, Ryan Garfield, that's me. Mm-hmm. Floyd Mayweather, that's me. I'm that person. So mm-hmm. he's crazy for him to say that. But, mm-hmm. like I said, nothing but respect for him, all love. Can't believe you said that. Does buddy. it
3: suck that, like, we're at this point where, I mean, like, a year or so ago, every, the big brother, little brother thing was kind of out there. Like, he's the present, you're the future yeah. kind of thing, all in the same. He shows up. I mean, he never goes to any fights, and all he right. shows
5: up at yours uh yeah, just at ringside. Yeah, it's kind of messed up. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. So you're here now. um, Joe Goosen, we were talking about this
3: before we started, has been as complimentary of you as any trainer to a fighter he didn't have over the years. Publicly, very publicly. Um, Why did it make sense for you to start training with Joe? And, like, what were those early conversations like about how he
5: could help you uh, get better? Uh, They gave me two options. And, you know... I have already a connection to Joe, uh, trained with him when I was 17, and uh, I know that Joe's a hardworking guy, and he's an old school type of trainer, and I, I love that, because mm-hmm. I'm an old school type of fighter, I would think. You know, I like to, you know, talk about boxing, I like to study boxing, I like to look at the old fights, talk about the old fights, and he has a lot of knowledge, so in my head, I knew that was the right fit for me and we have already a beautiful connection like we get a lot of things that you know that we understand. So mm-hmm. that was the perfect fit for me. I didn't think twice. I just said, "Yeah, let's go." Joe Goosen is it? It is what it is. Mm-hmm. Let's go. What what's his been his biggest influence so far? I mean, what are the things he's trying to kind of imprint with with his style? Uh, I mean, everything, you know. Uh I would say mainly uh technical stuff obviously with your hands being placed at Mm. a certain spot or when you get into a certain position where you should have your hands Um, and that's pretty much the biggest thing we're working on right now and obviously, I'm always thinking on how to get better, and I'm mm. figuring it out, too. So you'll see improvements mm. come into the ring, or maybe not. Maybe you just see me knock them out. <laughs> maybe I have my hands down the whole fight. You never know. <laughs> I mean, he, how much does he talk to you about Diego Corrales and kind of, uh you know, that No, I mean, he tells me uh, certain things they did that, you know, that were good for uh, their style mm. and certain moves that I could probably apply to my mm. certain positioning on a fight, you know, in, in the ring. But, I mean, at the end of the day, we are all got our own thing. Mm-hmm. and what makes a great trainer is a great fighter. Mm-hmm. So I think at the end of the day, we're going to push each other on just everything, knowledge on the game. Mm-hmm. You know, I One thing I will do, anybody, I don't care if it's Eddie Renault, I don't care if it's Freddie Roach, I don't care if it's the most legendary trainer in the world. If I got a question about something, you're going to hear it from me mm-hmm. because I'm also trying to get better. And if I say that positioning, why would I do that? Mm-hmm. You're going to have to answer me because I'm not going to throw – Something that doesn't make sense to me, mm-hmm. you know. What I mean, we're all. I like to, to, to think with the the trainer, so we could find the best option. Mm-hmm. And I don't just say yes, you know. I don't just jump into dark waters and just hope I fucking swim. <laughs> what um, you
3: know, when it comes to the technical stuff, um, you know, are we gonna see a? Are we gonna see a different version of you? You kind of no. joked about no. hands being down stuff, but what what are we gonna see from you with in this kind of new version of you?
5: Uh, I mean definitely gonna see me tighter i would mm-hmm. say tighter uh, in the ring uh i won't make so much tactical errors but um i've gotten away with it because i'm so fast and strong mm-hmm. and i'm the best fighter ever who's ever lived but um other than that you know <laughs> uh you're gonna just see me do me and fix a little bit of errors that mm-hmm. i had you know i got caught with luke campbell because um i made a tactical error mm-hmm. and it's you know, you're facing a southpaw. Things are coming from a different side, and uh, and it was just a good shot. Like, mm. there's nothing I could say. It was a great placement shot. And Luke Campbell is not the softest puncher, and you, I mean, you'll realize that. You see Lomachego's face. Mm-hmm. His face was tore up. That Luke Campbell could hit. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's just little mistakes that I fix. Like, in most of my fights, you've never even seen me cut up, mm-hmm. bloody, or even, like, I wasn't even really shook with Campbell. You see, it was like I got hit. It looked way worse than it actually was. Mm-hmm. I got up, and I was okay. So you won't see me get dropped for sure, uh, knock on wood, pop, pop. But uh, <laughs> but I will I will beat this dude, and I think I will beat him one through three rounds, and I don't think I'll get hit.
3: What do you think of the way the lightweight divisions kind of caught fire in the last six I mean, months. Or at least
5: got some more attention with the why? way
3: Cambosis. Well, I mean, Cambosis having the upset. Oh um, yeah.
5: I mean Tefimo kind of dropping out of it. That was a very weird fight. <laughs> like that Cambo I mean Cambosis, don't get me wrong, kudos to him for winning. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he's as skillful as even Teofima. I still don't think he's still as skillful. I think he caught Teafima at the right time. That's all I really do believe that. But Again, I have, it's just my opinion based on just, I know boxing and I could see it. You know what I mean? Uh, The thing that I do like about Kambosis is he might not be the best talent, but he probably works super hard. So he beat talent when talent didn't work hard Mm -hmm. and you cannot never knock a guy on that. And I wish that he makes a lot of money in the sport and he could uh, take care of his family forever, Mm -hmm. but I will... I will show him that he should, he was not believe, belong mm-hmm. in the ring with me. I will get him out of there mm-hmm. for sure and I'm not just talking like to a female. I'm actually going to do it. Mm-hmm.
3: You you believe that fight's going to happen at some point?
5: I do. And if it doesn't, great. I don't <laughs> care. Like <laughs> I'm so tired. What ti- are your goals then now? My I mean, goals c- are my I mean my goals are obviously to win titles, mm-hmm. but I mean, you're kind of above titles. Like I'm I mean, above of those titles. Guys that, I'm you know, above titles on. and I'm above bullshit. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> I don't care if I could win a a stupid title that mm-hmm. doesn't mean anything. I care about beating some good fighters. So if it so happens that Lomachenko gets the bouts from Cambosis, I will be the first one to fight Lomachenko mm-hmm. because I, Lomachenko knows I could fight, and I think that would be a great fight because uh, he's shorter than me, but he's going to be trying to apply that pressure, mm-hmm. and I'm going to be, you know, it's just going to be a fun fight. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm he he's going to be very weary for my shit. Mm-hmm. He knows, mm-hmm. and uh, and I have to watch out for his pressure, mm-hmm. you know, and his tech technical uh, abilities so i'll be looking forward to that if not uh i want to fight Teofimo at 140 uh knock him out and then hopefully get tank davis mm-hmm. and when i say knockout guys you got to remember i will say i'll knock out every single person because i don't see anybody surviving mm-hmm. but if they do great i will make it into a dog fight because i love it it's like boxing's fun to mm-hmm. me you won't ever have an easy fight with me, for mm-hmm. sure. But you I will always go for the knockout. First
3: time, first up is Tego uh, coming up April 9th. And like, yep. do you f- we talked about kind of maybe whatever might change technically, if anything at all. How do you think you're going to feel getting back in the ring for the Great. first time in Great. Over a year?
5: Great. My time is uh, immaculate. My explosion is still there. My precision, my timing. That's the best thing about me is my mm-hmm. timing. Mm-hmm. So uh, I have that on, on TAT. Uh, I have everything. Like my shots are strong. I'm knocking people out left and right and sparring. So it's like. There's, you're not going to see anything different other than there's nothing different. You're just going to see me do the same thing I've been doing. That's it. Like, Take how is not going to do anything. He's just he's going to move, I think, once he feels a good one. Uh, but he won't be there for long. Mm. Well, Ryan, good to have you back, man. Thank you, Chris Mannix. You're the best. When we come back,
3: this week's picks brought to you by FanDuel.
1: 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply.
2: Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury
0: a trophy bigger than your five-year-old that's blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected. Subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary.
3: All right, it's time now for this week's picks, brought to you by FanDuel. And like I promised you, Last week, I got back to my winning ways. I gave you an underdog last week. Lee Wood, in his hometown, was an underdog against Michael Conlon. I said he was going to win. what do he do? Pick up a 12th round knockout. One of the great fights of the year. And one of the best knockouts that you are going to see in years. Congratulations to Lee Wood. Phenomenal performance. Michael Conlon as well. He put forth a great effort. This week... I'm going to give you a favorite. I don't like to do that that often, but I'm big on this fight this weekend. Edgar Berlanga, who is one of the best young prospects in boxing, he is coming off something of a so-so performance in his last fight. He got injured during that fight. He got knocked down during that fight. It was the second consecutive fight for Berlanga, who looked unstoppable when he racked up 16 consecutive first-round knockouts. He's had two straight wins by decision, we just had some questioning just how good he is. I'm here to tell you he is good, and he's going to bounce back in a big way on Saturday, headlining at Madison Square Garden against Steve Rolls. Some of you know Steve Rolls as the guy that fought Gennady Golovkin a couple of years ago. He got knocked out then. I think he gets knocked out now. I think Berlanga, he wins this fight. He's the favorite and a big one going in. So it's not you're not going to win a lot of money if you bet low. But I'm telling you, he is going to win And he is going to knock out Steve Rolls and get back on track as one of the brightest young fighters at 168 pounds. So that's this week's picks brought to you by FanDuel. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Corey Erdman and Ryan Garcia for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. I will see you next week. And what's that you say, Ryan? You have one final word for Sergio Mora?
5: Sergio,
2: you don't know shit.